Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. G-A-L-D-E-M. G-A-L-D-E-M. This song is good. Welcome to a brand new season of Growing Up With Galdem. Inspired by our book, I Will Not Be Erased, our stories about growing up as people of colour. My name is Nyella Arboyne and I'm the life editor at Galdem. And I'm Natty Kasimvala, former editor and longtime contributor at Galdem. Galdem is an award-winning media company committed to sharing the perspectives of people of colour from marginalised genders. Each week, we invite a guest to respond to old diary entries, letters or text messages from their younger selves. The point is to nurture important discussions about growing up. You can find Growing Up With Galdem on Apple Podcasts, the Acast app, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Jam Supernova began her radio journey a decade ago as an intern. Today, she is a nationally adored broadcaster hosting much-loved weekly shows on BBC Radio 1 Extra and more recently, a Saturday slot on BBC Six Music. She also champions new and emerging artists and global sounds on her genre-defying record label, Future Bounce. Jams uses her tacit knowledge from years of hard work and life lessons to create the DIY Handbook, a podcast and support system for those facing hurdles on their career journey. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. 
That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow! Did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for twenty percent off your first purchase. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have twenty minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk. Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. It is great to have you on the show today. First of all, happy birthday. Oh, thank you. Hello, Libra. Yeah, Libra season. <laughs> yes. How are you feeling? Oh, it's a bit of a weird one this year. It doesn't really feel like my birthday. I think there's a lot of stuff like externally going on, like work and personal life stuff so I think my birthday's postponed this year till next month that's what I'm doing yeah <laughs> I'm fully on that flex it's, it's busy it's a busy time but I want to be able to enjoy it properly so I think once I get to that first week of November then I'm gonna have my second birthday oh yeah it's got to be like a month-long shindig I think you gotta exactly. and you have to give it its space and give it its due so even like the lockdown yeah. birthdays I was like this is a half birthday we'll get to it in like <laughs> it a year's time count. doesn't count <laughs> I did all right last year, actually. I kind of went all out. I stayed at a hotel. I did this, like, um, and it was just before they brought in the lockdown again or the restrictions. I did, like, a supper club with my friends. So we had six on each table and we had, like, a chef and stuff. And so I, I did all right last year. So actually, that's why I kind of feel like I'm okay this year. If last year I didn't get to go big, I might have been a bit sad about that. This year I'm all right taking a back seat. <laughs> so I'd love to talk a bit about DIY Handbook and you know how it came to be why you feel it's so important to create this show yeah I mean it was something that I had started sort of on the BBC as a feature called DIY generation and like I'm just really fascinated by people and their journey and their careers and especially when you add in the element of business and taking ideas and turning them into something you know how do you do that and what's the process that you go on and what have you learned through doing it I've kind of always been really into listening and reading the story so that was kind of how it started was on the BBC I tried to do like a sort of like pre the boom of podcast I was basically trying to do a podcast on the radio and people didn't really quite get it we had some amazing guests but I don't think that even the station I'm not sure if they quite grasped what it could go on to be so when I had the opportunity to kind of take it back for myself and rejig it it kind of felt important this time around for me to implement myself into it a little bit because I'd never actually told my story. And during this period of time, I've been going on that journey of uh, having a career, you know, 10 year long career and launching myself as a business. So I've got those learnings to share as well. 
So I started DIY Handbook, had the time in the pandemic to actually like sort of flesh it out and figure out what I really wanted to do. It had been ideas that we'd been working on for like two years to try and get off the ground, but the pandemic allowed me to really like knuckle down and get it done. And it kind of just so happened that it coincided with my 10th year anniversary of kind of working within the industry. So yeah, that was kind of why I wanted to start it for myself. And then I just kind of think of, you know, I think I look at you two, you know, lovely individuals and entrepreneurs and creators and think like, you know, you've got your foot in the door and you're about to go on this journey yourselves. And it's like, hopefully you'll be able to listen to the podcast and be like, that's just come up for me or that's something that I'm going to encounter. And having heard that, maybe I might approach this a little bit differently. Maybe these are the tools that I can use to help me get over that hurdle or or to learn that lesson. So it's kind of like sort of me giving you the lowdown of what's going to come. Yeah, I think that's really great. And you yourself have also had like quite an interesting route into radio, kind of like the fairy tale story in terms of like from starting out at BBC to, you know, staying there for such a long time and building such a brand and platform for yourself so I wondered if you could give us like a little brief overview of that journey as well as like any I guess people or broadcasters or stations that you remember kind of inspiring you in that first step into radio Mm. yeah I mean when you say fairy tale I guess it doesn't quite feel like a fairy tale when you've been in it because I guess it yeah it did take a long time but I think I think people see it as a nice story of like resilience and persistence and that it can happen for them or you know for others around them yeah I started off at the Brit school did a ton of radio there in college always knew I wanted to be on one extra from when I got a DAB I just knew like that's it I used to listen to Choice FM before and I was like nah that's not real radio got to hear one extra I was like that's where I need to be left college did a year of work experience and ended up at the BBC and was like I'm not leaving I ain't going nowhere I'm here to stay And then I worked behind the scenes for five years. In those five years, I kept trying to get a show and every year they were like, no, you're not good enough. No, no one knows who you are. No, it's not your time yet. And then eventually after five years, I did get a show because every knockback, I kind of, I guess I was able to go into myself and be like, refine, tweak. What do I need? What do I actually want? Do I want what I wanted when I first started out? And that had changed as well over the five years. And then, yeah, I got a show, did a, did a daytime show to begin with, a Saturday afternoon, and then kind of worked my way up, uh, up the schedule a little bit, and then decided, like, you know, being a specialist broadcaster is really what I want to be, and pushed to get a show that was specialist as well. So I got that, and been doing that for five years, and then recently got a show on Six Music, and that's kind of where I'm at now. So I'm kind of going into that next stage of, of my career. I hope that was quite brief. <laughs> that was perfect. I feel like people only see where you are now and not like the journey that brought you to your shows in five years. And um, that's a long time to like wait and just know that what you need is going to come to you. Instagram wasn't even a thing, you know, initially when I got there. When I first started working at the BBC, Twitter had just started. There wasn't anywhere to document that journey. I guess it was only from about like 2013, 14 people really started using Instagram but even then it was still quite sporadic we didn't know that you'd be using it as as brands because you post and you know you go out on a night out it was, it was basically taking Facebook onto Instagram so yeah I guess no one yeah didn't really see that side of it and obviously coming from behind the scenes as well sometimes it can feel like you've come out of nowhere even though you've been forging these relationships but you haven't come as a person of interest you've kind of come in through the back door if I may like But I had been on Represent and that was a big part of my journey and I can never, you know, underestimate being on that youth station when it wasn't even on FM, when it was on a Peckham estate. 
underneath a row of shops, you know, internet station and then growing with them. If I didn't have that experience, I wouldn't be where I am now. So many stars have come through represent. <laughs> yeah, it's such a great platform. It really is. It's, yeah, for those that don't know, it's a youth station out of London and it kind of does what it says on the tin. It's made for young people by young people. I wanted to talk a bit about your kind of sharing of knowledge and how you're really generous with that, which is, you know, really commendable. And sometimes it feels like there's a lot of gatekeeping within the world of the arts and creative industries. Is that important to you? Is that something you wish you kind of had in your career? Did you have that in your career? Why do you think it's so important to, you know, open those doors for people coming up after you? Yeah, I think there's definitely an element of me not having it or not having the answers that I wanted. Like, I would sit online when I was, like, in end of secondary school and beginning of college. Like, how do you become a TV presenter or how do you become a radio presenter? And there was nothing that was really clear. It would just be like, everyone would be like, oh, I just fell into it. And then it just happened for me. And then, you know, it would get so frustrated. I'd be searching for these for stories or for a route or just like a kind of do this, then do this, then do this. And there was nothing out there. So that was a big sort of reason. But I think as well, it's easier to give out information and reach back when you are where you want to be. And sometimes it can be harder when you're in a position, you know, where you're struggling. So if you'd have asked me at 21 to tell you how to get into radio, and I'm still trying to get into radio, like I probably wouldn't maybe have been so forthcoming. And there was definitely like a period where I thought that it was like, it's sort of dog eat dog, you know, and everyone for themselves. And I think I had to really unlearn a lot of that competitive behaviour. I like try to channel the competitiveness in a positive way in terms of being hungry and things like that, but understanding that there really is room for everyone and everyone is really unique. And I think I had to do a lot of that in my early 20s. Otherwise, I think it would have sent me crazy with this. There is so much competition out there. And if you sort of dwell on it and get sucked into it, then you're actually not going to do what you need to be doing. Yeah, especially if you're like black or a woman, it feels like there's like, we're coming from a place of scarcity mm-hmm. that can only be one yeah, of us. Yeah, it gets narrow, and narrow. Climb to the top. <laughs> yeah, 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 then get to the top and then lock the gate. But, you know, that's no fun. Why would you want to be the only one there? It's no fun being the only one there, you know. And I think I definitely had to learn that. And I'm glad I did because it's so much more rewarding coming through with people and sharing experiences and being able to reach back. And I've got so many, you know, good friends who I've helped or who've helped me. It's kind of like a... You know, like the principles of jazz are like each one teach one. And I think there's been a lot of that in radio, which is which has been beautiful. Mm. And I think what you mentioned in terms of those first five years and the struggle of kind of like dealing with, I guess, the demands of a station and what they demand from the people who have to be like the brands and the presenters is super interesting as well. And how it ties into, you know, like you could have all the experience in the world in producing radio and yet still get on the air and people think you're new. There was something interesting that you'd said about, I guess, how you have to kind of create or make your personality also your commodity as a DJ and as a presenter. But I think what you've done so well with it is keeping like the love of music still at the forefront of that. And so I I wondered, like, has there ever been struggles in terms of being able to like maintain that balance or ignore certain pressures to be not just like Jam's the curator and Jam's presenter, but Jam's like the celebrity personality or the visible person and How do you kind of balance those demands? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think for me, it's really important. Like the music is me. It's such a big part of my personality and my 
identity. So it's always putting the music first. That's the first, you know, the first thing. And everything that I do is like the music sits before me sort of thing. But I got to work with a presenter, well, a DJ producer called Toddler T. So I got to work with him at a very sort of early stage and produce his show. And I got to watch him share his love of music whilst being completely and wholly himself like you know he has his own little slang it's like he's Sheffield but he loves Caribbean culture so that kind of influences the way he talks and you know he could see when he was really passionate about something and sometimes he would stumble over his words but it doesn't matter because the way that he was selling the song you don't even listen to that you're just listening to what he's actually saying and you're not trying to hear him sound sound perfect so I think that helped me kind of find my voice as a broadcaster, to just be myself. Same watching someone like a Trevor Nelson, he puts the mic down, he's chatting to you, he's the same person, he puts the mic back up. There's no difference between the person on air and the person off air, apart from he's a bit more rude off air. <laughs> so yeah, that, that's always been a... But I think with the rise of social media and how much more important like being a brand is, I think I have definitely struggled with that demand of people wanting more and people caring less about the thing that is the most important thing to me, which is the music. So, like, if I post, do a post about my radio show, a post about my label, or, you know, a post about a DJ gig that I've done, that's not as entertaining or exciting as me posting my pregnant belly, or me and my partner, or, you know, I have to do really, like, gushing, like, heartfelt captions, you know? <laughs> like, sometimes I just want to say, listen to this show because it's sick. So that's the bit that I do struggle with is that now you have to be so much more than just the music personality. You have to let people in a lot more. Yeah, it's so true. I think you do it in a really great way. And there are so many people who do do it so well in terms of like, okay, here's my boundary then. And like, I'm going to share with you, but it's also not going to, I'm not going to let this dictate what I do and like how I help people. I think especially Mm. with like specialist music and like independent labels, that side is so, I think you do so much to kind of keep that culture alive. And that's not always, like you say, it's not always the thing that people are like going to be retweeting about, but it's like where everything stems from. And that's my boundary. I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. It's like understanding that is my boundary and, and I will continue to post about them things, but then I need to manage my own expectations. So my own expectations is that I might not have 100,000 followers. It might take me longer to get to 100,000 followers, should I say, than if I was to bear all and make it about me, the way I look, my life, you know. So, yeah, it's going to be a longer journey. There may be times that I might be paid less or there'll be less opportunities because I am a specialist DJ. And it's kind of being okay with that. And if you can be okay with that, then I can keep those boundaries in place and I think uh, yeah I've kind of had to, to get to a place of being like okay cool that's fine you know I'm good with that I'm still fulfilled so hard to not get lost in that social media source I'm glad get carried away <laughs> like you'd never do normally find yourself doing shit you know <laughs> <laughs> okay it's time for us to get into your extract which I'm so excited for you oh to read for us <laughs> and if you can give us a little bit of like context before you read and then yeah just Mm. describe what you're going to be speaking about okay well I actually thought it was quite nice and quite fitting that these diary entries are exactly 20 years old so I thought that was pretty crazy yeah 20 years old I mean that just makes me feel not old but but live I've lived (laughs) yeah Yeah. so I'll start with well I'll start with the fact that it was really hard for me to find 
things that weren't so moany. Obviously, I know that's what diaries are for, but I was obviously like a highly hormonal <laughs> young girl, like a teenager. So I would have been, I would have been ten going on eleven, maybe just turned eleven. The year was two thousand and one, and I started it off with a fact file of everything about me. That was the first entry into the diary. So I'm eleven. I have my siblings. I had these cuddly toys called a Bengal and Snowball. And I think they were Beanie Babies. If I remember clearly, they're Beanie Babies. I had a very big collection of Beanie Babies. My favourite shops were Tammy, H and you, you girls were yes. the Tammy girl. We were just talking about it before you came okay, on. We were like, right. Tammy. Yeah. <laughs> and you go in and get those little like Tammy, tank tops mate. and stuff. Holtonek. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I had a best friend called Anna Crump. I had a couple of other friends. I had a boyfriend, but that's been crossed out. So obviously that didn't work out. My favourite word was shit. And my hobbies were gymnastics, bodyboarding, football, art, other sports, singing, dancing. And yeah, that's all about me. So then this is the diary entry. So I was right into the Beanie Babies. They were my like, I don't know who they were. Your confidants. <laughs> my confidants, yeah. Okay. Dear Bengal and Snowball, yesterday and today was my party. It was wicked. On the Friday, I got a tiny bit stressed, but then I felt better and watched 10 Things I Hate About You. <laughs> It's wicked. And then we watched Big Mama and that was shit, which I would also like to add. Big Mama's not shit. That's a really good film. I feel like I wasn't there yet. I had to learn. I had to tap into my blackness a bit more by then. <laughs> that Big Mama came later. But we talked and did makeovers. For my birthday, they got me gel pens, chocolate, money, soap and a notebook. The chocolate is delicious. They're from France. And today we went to Blue Water. It's massive. <laughs> they have so many things. I bought a diary, rings and a beautiful rabbit. The last two days have been great. Then the next day is my actual birthday. So this is exactly 20 years, 8th of the 10th, 01. Dear Bengal and Snowball, it's my birthday today. And I've had lovely things. But guess what? My best friend Kai told me that Freddie has dumped me. And I really love him. And I've been waiting a long time to go out with him. This is the worst on my birthday. It feels like a sharp stab in pain. It has kind of ruined my day. I will never forgive him ever. Also, I have no idea... If he has or if Kai has been playing a joke, love from crying Jamila. That crying sign off really <laughs> broke my what heart. Dumped on your birthday. I know. <laughs> and I probably was. I was such an emotional, emotional, emotional child. I probably was like really heartbroken, like genuinely heartbroken because I did love in a primary school way, <laughs> Freddie. So yeah, yeah, that's my diary entry. I think when I was sort of going through it and finding the extracts, I was a little bit, well, not a little bit surprised. I was so boy obsessed, which is kind of not who I have been for a very long time. Like completely, it was all about fancying someone. It was all about them fancying me. It's like the next day, I think, the next day I was already on to Mac. <laughs> after that. <laughs> I already... This is strong, chaotic Libra energy. From yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all of that I was like somebody love me who's next okay let's go <laughs> yeah I guess I wanted to ask like to start out like do you remember any of these things that happened do you remember what life kind of felt like for you at that time like if you had to describe 11 year old Jamila mm. before you read this extract would it have matched up with the reality yeah I think I was like highly strong <laughs> I was a very like highly strong young person and a perfectionist, and I really wanted to be liked. And I think that's where a lot of the boy thing came into play with wanting to be liked. And I think I'd always been very, very popular, and that was in year six. And then I remember a girl, 
has grown boobs, like proper boobs, like real life, you know, almost double Ds. Like it was really weird. But we were in we were in year six. But she became the most popular, and I think I just couldn't handle it. I just couldn't take it that she had she had stolen the crown from me. So I definitely remember that, and I think it was a time of realization as well. I think some of the other diary entries sort of I kind of had this like idyllic view of how my life was gonna be and. My position in society, maybe that's the better phrase of it. And I had gone to quite a middle class primary school, even though we weren't that middle class. But, you know, I guess on the spe- you've got a spectrum, isn't it? Like they were like five story houses, I would say, you know, living in Telegraph Hill, which is the area in Newcross, which is very affluent. And I lived on the other side of Newcross, which, you know, wasn't so affluent. But we owned a house. So there's, you know, so if I think about the spectrum, it's a weird one. So I just assumed that I would have the same lifestyle as the people that I was going to school with. And when it came to starting to get into secondary schools, I basically, you know, for the first time, I guess I experienced like real rejection because none of the secondary schools that I applied for, I got into, which was ASKS. Uh, so ASKS is like a, I don't really know how to explain it. They're everywhere now. But back then you do some stupid tests where you like, the tests were like re- uh, unreasonable learning or something or reasonable thing or oh, like, I don't know, describe the triangle. Verbal reasoning. Yeah, verbal reasoning, verbal whatever reasoning. that. Yeah. yeah all, all verbal reasoning. Really stupid, like when you think about it. But that's what the tests were based about, like kind of. Yeah, so this this school asked basically, I, you know, where do you want to go? And all my friends got into it and I didn't get into it. And all my friends were white. And then I went for another school, which is a similar sort of school called Bacon's. Didn't get into that. And I didn't get into any school that had a test, even though I knew I was smart. And it's like all my white friends had their schools that they were going to. And they were these, you know, top tier schools in the area. And I basically went to the, which now I look back and I'm so grateful for because I had the best time there. But at the time I was like, I didn't want to go there. So it was like I went to like the, just sort of the generic state school down the road. It's that thing of, um, it's was it a grammar thing as well? Because it's like, it's that thing of with verbal reasoning they always talk about, because uh, I grew up in a county where it was grammar schools as well and we did verbal reasoning. And it's like, it's such a class separator because it means that, because it's not intelligence in the way that, like, you know, you just have to be good at maths and good at English. It's like, mm. no, no, you get a tutor, you learn the tricks, you can bang out the exam. So it became this massive divide thing because it's like you can't even learn to just be good at verbal reasoning by yourself. It just literally means whoever can pay can get in. Yeah, 100%. And I think even the way they did the tier, so they would take the, or the way they did it would take the top tier from each band. So even if you were, it didn't matter how low you were on the band, but if you're maybe smart, but you're not the smartest, then it kind of like pushes you down. Do you know what I mean? If that makes any sense and kind of lessens your chances. But yeah, I mean, it was all, but again, that's nothing that a really 11 year old girl should be analysing. And I think that in the diary I had written, but I'm smarter than them. I looked at that line and I was like, oh, that's a bit like, why would I say that? But obviously there was a feeling of like, but I know that I am as good as them. Why is it that I'm not getting the same opportunities as them? And I think class and race was a big decider. I love the secondary school that I ended up going to and I had such an incredible time. It's called Deptford Green and like it was just like, it was raw, it was energetic. We had great teachers. I really thrived there. And I think maybe I would have got lost in those said schools, you know. So I think it all kind of worked out. And like I said, I learned a lot about class, society, my place in it from one spectrum to the other. 
I definitely think that's the kind of age where you're starting to grapple with those ideas of what's just and who you are in society and you're kind of seeing yourself not just as an individual Mm -hmm. but a part of a bigger system and where you are on that scale and it's a lot of like hard and complicated feelings to deal with at such a young age and Mm -hmm. especially when you don't really have a name for racism or classism it can feel yeah really overwhelming (laughs) <laughs> that's the real tea yeah forget society <laughs> <laughs> because it's it's so weird when you read back because I've been doing diaries since I was 11 as well and it's boy crazy it's wild to like you can have such strong emotions that you I remember just feeling like pained about how much I fancied someone <laughs> outside of like a cartoon character or like a singer so What was your kind of relationship and understanding with love and romance at that age? I think I was quite advanced, maybe like too advanced. I'd probably say if my future child is as advanced as I was at 11, I might have to put some restrictions in place. I'd always had boyfriends from like year three. And I think that Freddie, I had been dating since year three. So by the time we got into like year six, we were like, yeah, kissing and stuff is gross. Oh disgusting sorry (laughs) so yeah definitely very advanced quite forward I would say and yeah genuine real feelings and and real heartbreak and sort of but I also put myself out there a lot which I was quite I'm quite impressed at the younger me I would ask people out I would tell people that I liked them oh my goodness yeah I recently read back some Facebook messages or like extracts from digital conversations because I Never journaled, and I always complain on this podcast about how I never journaled, and I wish I did, so I could <laughs> read it all back. And I realised the same thing, like, when I was younger, I would literally, I had this way of just expressing myself and, like, flirting, or just, you know what I mean? Like, just putting yourself out there and, and actually just not being afraid of what would happen. And it's, it's kind of interesting to mm. see how that shifts over time. I think there's another snippet that we have, which is you kind of bounce back and you announce your new crush within <laughs> within 24 hours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I guess I was wondering, like, do you see any elements in like that, Jamila, that you think are either super different to how you kind of navigate love and relationships today or are really similar? I kind of actually think about those formative years more in a sense of how I approached my career, if anything, in that maybe that's why I could handle those five years of rejection at one extra because I'd been getting rejected from an early age and bouncing back and, you know, or getting what I want and getting it taken away from me. So I think that that kind of was enabled me to have like a thick skin. But I don't recognise that person in how I went on to interact with relationships. I think as the years went on in love and relationships, I think I got more... And more maybe a bit insecure or maybe a little less bold so if I was to think like sort of 10 years on from like you know from that age from 11 10 11 to 2021 I think by 2021 I was kind of like I don't think I ever really saw myself having a relationship or being able to be loved yeah or be loved in the way that I would have wanted to be so I think I kind of like accepted just linking people or just seeing people and not having, you know, the security of being in a relationship. And then obviously 10 years on now, I'm in a relationship and have been in a relationship for like the last seven years. And 
it is really important for me to have. So I've almost come back around full circle, actually, because it is really important for me to have that security of being in a relationship in terms of like not just seeing someone. Like I remember with my partner, I remember when we started seeing each other and dating and after like three months, I was like, right, time's up. Like, what are you saying? Either we're going to make this into something or let's move on because I didn't want to get back into where I'd been where you're just seeing someone and you don't have any rights, not rights to them, but you can't even say, oh, I didn't like the way you treated me. Well, I'm not with you anyway. It's like, you know, I didn't want that. So that was really important to me to have that security. And I think we we were able to forge that really early on and, and have a really safe and healthy relationship. Yeah. How do you feel like you got back to that? Was there anything pivotal or any specific decision you remember making, which was like, okay, this is over now. I want the real thing. I think it was kind of more... I had been seeing someone from like 18 to 21 that like seeing, yeah, literally just seeing someone. But it's quite a long period of time and quite a lot of your your good years, you're 18 to 21. And I think I gave him a lot of time without getting anything back other than him turning up at my house every now and again. So I think by the time I got to 21, I had this like, you know, I'd been like a year in at the BBC and and it was actually someone at the BBC who said something. So I was working with all these amazing older women and one extra was very... Uh, matriarchal then a lot of very strong black women producers in high positions and um, she said to me are you seeing anyone and I was like oh yeah kind of you know this guy and I sort of said what he does you know he doesn't really have a job but he makes money and she was like hmm so she was like so you're not really with him he's a drug dealer she was like would you <laughs> yeah Damn. she was like would you invite him to the Christmas party and I was like no mm. and she was like then why is he in your life he's not a part of where you're heading you know he's not going to fit into where you're heading like drop him out basically and that was quite you know you go through the different emotions she's just jealous so like actually I think she's kind of telling the truth here she, she doesn't know what we have she's just jealous she's hating she hasn't seen our bonds yeah she yeah yeah for herself <laughs> I've been watching Married at First Sight and you know you can see the defensiveness of people. It's like you know your relationship yes. shit and now you're Yeah, and now you're Delusional. annoyed that people are telling you that your relationship shit. But I can see it like the site if you psychoanalyze it, like it's human nature, isn't it? So yeah, after that I just kinda of locked him off and I turned my doorbell off so he couldn't turn up because I wasn't strong of mind then. Changed my number and that was pretty much the last I saw of him ever really I think I've seen him once in the last seven years and that's been amazing and and I think having that time of not seeing him and then I just went crazy I was like finding my freedom I guess like untethered one night stand love that untethered I was untethered yeah and I enjoyed it and I loved it and I lived it I lived on my own as well so I could do whatever I wanted you know and I think that got me back to me and then it kind of made me realise, like, what is it that I'm looking for in somebody? What do I want? Because like, I could detach myself from the physical. I could sleep with someone and then be a brethren the next day and not really be that bothered. And I think that was good for me because then I could have those boundaries in place. And then when I did meet Sam, I was like, okay, well, we can sleep together and that's all fun and stuff and that's great. But if we are going to continue, then I do need something more because that's kind of where, where I'm at now. So I think that's what, yeah, got me back. But yeah, I had some great times, fantastic times. That's really interesting because on one of our other podcast episodes, we were talking about how your younger you is actually you and you're always trying to kind of get back to that person. So that confident you that actually knew Mm. what you wanted in those relationships has come back. And didn't doubt that I should be loved. You know, I think that's a big one. And I think especially as black women, you know, 
once you get to your teenage years, everything out there tells you that you're not desirable, you're not beautiful, you're not, you don't see it anywhere. So possibly like the younger me had that because I never felt any other. I'm told I'm beautiful. I'm told I'm, you know, my mom tells me that every day and why would I not think I'm beautiful? And it's only when you start like, you know, looking outside of that as a teenager and you don't see things that reflect you that it starts to like chip away at you. And I think that it's interesting around that age of uh, 21, I started wearing my hair natural. So I cut him off, got my, had a big old septum piercing <laughs> that came into play and I had natural hair and it was very much a thing of like, because before I just straightened it, I like straightened the shit out of it. GHD is like nothing much left of it. And going natural was such a big process, such a big part of me having to be like, this is you and people need to accept you as you. And if someone is not going to find you attractive in this state then they don't deserve you in the GHD state. And it was always like a Lego fringe that never moved. I don't know why we thought that was better. <laughs> <laughs> Stiff right, I got, I'm about to send you a picture. Yeah, I had the... <laughs> Not the swoop. I did the flick as well. Not so the I swoop. Went up. <laughs> so yeah, even that, not having a fringe, I thought my forehead is big. I know it's big, but I, I have a complex about it. But I had to accept, that's your forehead. You can't hide it. Look at Rihanna. Like, we're good. I was really curious to find out because in your fact file you list your siblings and it seems like you come from a big family as well. And I was curious to hear more about like how 11-year-old Jamila fit into that landscape as well and what you were like interacting with your siblings and how that might have impacted what you were like interacting with your breakups and your cuddly toys and whether there was like links there. Yeah, I mean, I guess it was a big family but we didn't all live together. So it wasn't, I guess, a nuclear family in that sense. Well, at one point, I only lived with one of my brothers. So, yeah, the breakdown is my older brother, same mum, same dad, younger brother on my mum's side. Then on my dad's side, I've got another brother, and then I've got two sisters. Yeah, at one point, I just lived with my little brother on my mum's side, with me, him, and his dad and my mum, or our mum. And my older brother had gone to live with my dad, and then... He came back and it was like, my older brother was quite a big presence and continues to be quite a big presence on our lives, even if he's decided not to be in our lives anymore. He's made the choice that he doesn't want to, but he has this kind of overwhelming like presence in it. And I think even as his younger sister, I think I always annoyed him by being good at things and I always had to make myself smaller for him. Or I would be told to make myself smaller for him to feel good. Oh, don't do that. That's Dario's thing. And... It would be upsetting for him if you were better at it than him. So just let him have his thing because he was so sensitive. So I think that definitely, I think if I think about like sort of like outwardly, I decided that in the outside world, I'm not going to make myself small for nobody, you know, because I didn't understand why I was made to do it for him. It didn't make any sense, but they're made to be an independent woman elsewhere, you know. So I think there was that. And then with my sisters and my brothers on my on my dad's side, we had a very different dynamic because they're very religious and they've grown up as Jehovah's Witnesses and my dad converted to a Jehovah's Witness. But I never wanted to be a Jehovah's Witness and I kind of very adamantly said that and never got involved and never really went with it. So we had a very different kind of upbringing, lifestyle. I'd go to theirs on the weekend and be annoyed that I couldn't watch MTV Bass because one video was too much. And I'd be like, oh my God, you know couldn't talk about Harry Potter or anything like that but now I'm a lot more understanding of their religion and their choices which is really interesting because my sisters have chosen to stay 
Jehovah Witnesses, you know, they, they're married, they get married, they're 21 and 23. And they're, yeah, one's married already, one's getting married, and they're very much in the religion. But I actually think part of their religion is what makes them beautiful as well, because they're so compassionate, so mature, so wise, you know, haven't got a bad bone in their body. And I think a lot of that is them being raised in what they call the truth. So yeah, I think I kind of, maybe I sort of was more malleable, you know, I knew what it was to grow up in different households. I would go from being, you know, the oldest to not the oldest at some points or go from being, you know, the lead person, I guess, to being going into an environment where these they already have their unit. They already live together. They have all their love together. I'm not actually, I'm visiting here. So I think that it kind of, yeah, I guess made me self-aware, but not in a not in a restrictive way. It just made me kind of understand my, again, maybe those different roles that I had to play. Yeah. There's like a self-sufficiency in like this thing, this horrible thing happens to you on your birthday and you're already able to express like exactly what you're feeling and like okay with it. And then within, I know we've been joking about it, but within a day you're able to rationalise and be like, you know what? I didn't need him anyway. Like, I'm moving on. It was a him problem. It's not a me problem. <laughs> yeah, let's, <laughs> like, let's just remove the original we move, you know? So I was, I was interested to hear more about that. And even just the fact that, you know, that you speak to Bengal and Snowball as, like, those are your people that you kind of rely on as well. I found super, super interesting. So, yeah, thank you for sharing that. No worries. Yeah, it's quite revealing, isn't it? It's quite a vulnerable place to be in those aspects. But yeah, it's all part of who you are today, isn't it? And mm. it, it was quite nice to, at this time in my life, you know, I'm about to become a mother, to go back and read that stuff. So I was like, wow, it's, yeah, I'm glad you made me, otherwise I probably would have done it. I might, <laughs> but I might have left those diaries here. I might not have taken them with me to my new place, yeah. but I think I should. Yeah, absolutely. And just to wrap up, what advice do you think you would give to the younger you who is kind of battling with love and relationships and like in and amongst the Freddie drama, what would you say to her if you could? i say to let go a little bit, be a little less uptight and stop trying to control everything and everyone. <laughs> <laughs> i definitely say that and just to kind of emphasise on enjoying the moment because again, I think that's something that took me a long time to do is to kind of just be in the moment and to enjoy it. I think I was always looking about what's next, what's happening, I want this, I want that, I want to be here, I want to do that. And that's, again, it's good things, it gets you to places, but, you know, you still got to be fulfilled in the present. I would have liked to have installed that a little bit earlier on in her. What would your younger self think about where you are now, both personally in your <sighs> life, having a baby, finding love, and your career that spanned 10 years? Yeah, I think she'd be pretty impressed. I think she'd be pretty impressed. I think she would think I was old because for some reason, back then I thought 30 was like the oldest thing in the world. Like, and to be 31, she'd be like, what? You're so old. But I think she would have been impressed by the career, the career path, the career choices and, and kind of what I'm doing now. I think she would have been impressed. I think she'd been like, and I think it would have inspired her. It would have been like, okay, so I can do that too. So I think she would have felt good about it and maybe it would have opened something in her that I kind of had to, to go away and find. It might have sparked something a bit sooner, sooner in her. So, yeah, well, I think she'd be I think she'd be pretty cool about it. Pretty good. <laughs> pretty happy. Good job. Good job. Thank you so much. That's been, yeah, I really enjoyed that. Uh, thank you for having me. It's really nice chat. Yeah, lovely. Oh, you actually made my day, made my birthday. Thank you. Oh, it's happy been so birthday. nice. Yeah. <laughs> really nice to reflect. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Such a full circle, like, little moment. I know. Yeah. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. 
Yeah. 20 years to the day. That's impressive that she has actual diaries from when she was 11. I know. We have we have all lived lives, you know? To think that we were like fully formed human beings. Well, not me, but... <laughs> not me. I'm a, I'm a newborn baby. But to think that we have, you know, like... We basically, five years later for me, you know, you're fully formed using words like shit. And you think, you know, every relationship is like the end of the world. Love. Yeah, like... It's beautiful to to look back at. Yeah, it's wild. It kind of reminds you of those times when you're a tween and like emotions are so just like new and raw and everything. You just feel everything that you get a real sense of that in her writing. Oh my goodness, yeah. I know. I it may, Again, it just makes me jealous that I don't have like these really comprehensive journals because I know that I was like going through probably quite similar things actually to her in terms of like that schooling situation and kind of trying to navigate in and amongst people who have so much and like figuring out, like you said, you're figuring out your identity as part of a community, not just as you and your family. And it is such a formative time. It is such a weird moment when you're like, oh my God, I'm not just me. I'm like a black girl from this area and I'm in this whole bigger thing. Mm. I'm not just an individual. I'm not just like my white friends. Like that is an overwhelming realisation to have which she forget about because we've known that for so long now. I know, I know. Although I kind of feel like I maybe had what she had when she went to Deptford Green. I think I got that when I moved out of Bucks. So I think, because I kind of got into that school that was the school mm-hmm. that you're supposed to go to. And I think I was kind of stuck in that like ignorance phase for probably most of secondary school. And then yeah. only when I left and I had that overwhelming urge to leave, <laughs> did I kind of get like the proper awakening when I was going to uni and stuff, so... I'm glad she found her people and she found, like, that confidence again. Yeah, she found her younger self again. That was nice. Mm. And now she's becoming a parent. I know, Uh, what? (laughs) This has been an II Studios production. Thank you so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. You can sign up to become a member at gal-dem.com for access to exclusive discounts with our favourite brands and partners, early access to tickets for Gaudem events, an advanced copy of our annual print issue, and so much more. Make sure you're following us on all major social media at Gaudemzine for the latest independent news and culture. Or visit our online website, which is gal-dem.com. Don't forget, if you love this episode of Growing Up With Gaudem, be sure to subscribe, rate and leave a review. We'll catch you on the next episode. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultrasoft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultrasoft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist-approved, so fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head-on. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.